Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're almost there. The 2019 NFL season starts next week. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell, wrapping up our divisional previews by looking at the South and what's been an eventful few days. We'll hear exactly how each of the eight teams across the AFC and NFC South can win their respected divisions. We'll then put our necks on the line and share how we think things will actually pan out. To do this, we're joined by NFL Scotland regular PFF senior analyst Gordon McGuinness. How's it going, guys? Good, thanks for coming back. Good to have you along. And to add the fourth voice and opinion to the mix, we're delighted to welcome back to the podcast Houston Texans fan, Ewan Dunsan Kwa. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope you're enjoying the preseason just as much as me. Oh, the preseason. Let's not go with the preseason. Let's just pretend the preseason doesn't happen and we should never speak of it again. Right, we're going to get straight into it then. And um, if you've been listening to the last couple, you know that Ewan's up first. Um, Gentlemen, you've all been given your teams. You get three minutes to make your pitches. And as we have done in every other episode so far in our previews, we're going to start with the AFC South. So, Ewan, it means that you get your own team, which is surely going to be an easy one, especially given everything that's happened in the last few days. You ready? Let's do it. Three minutes. Your time starts now. The Houston Texans are going back to back in the AFC South because ultimately we've got one more Deshaun than you. The Clemson Tiger entered the league uh, with a six-game historic stretch that, stretch that put him on an MP, MVP trajectory. His first, this is his first full off-season with the team to develop his chemistry with the receiving core and his offensive line. Bringing in Carl Smith as the quarterback's coach, who was credited much of the development of Russell Wilson, will allow Deshaun to decipher looks and, uh, and set protections right at the line of scrimmage, the main factor which led to 62 sacks this, last season, which was an NFL high. We've got the most a complete and consummate pro wide receiver in Noop Hopkins at the X. I would defy any other receiver to put the numbers up this guy's done in the, in the first few seasons in the league with the quarterbacks he's had to play with. At the, Z, at the Z position, we've got the pristine route runner and an absolute burner on nine routes as Will Fuller. And offences take notice of this when the, these guys are both on the field. And this really increases the amount of nickel and dime looks we've got, and that's really going to create the matchups in the intermediate passing game. We've got Kiki QT, the guy who was handpicked by Wes Welker from the fourth round at Texas Tech two years ago, struggled with hamstrings, but it's a 75 catch player when healthy. And our most athletic position on this team by a mile is at the tight ends. We've got Darren Fells at the Y, who's an elite blocker that'll improve our pass protection. We've got the self proclaimed lightning and thunder at tight end, the F and H back, Jordan Aitkins, which help, will be able to help us diversify the looks and formations and the name to watch this year is the U-tight end and Jordan Thomas he's a converted 6 foot 7 wide receiver from the Mississippi State Bulldogs and the upside with this guy is unreal the trade for Duke Johnson as well will give us an extra pass element in the passing game and help us in our third down packages and in the improved athleticism on the line with Max Sharping and Titus Howard the first and second round reinforcements will improve this improve, improve this unit on the defensive side of the ball, this, this unit was third against the run last year. This is J.J. Watt's first preseason in three years with no surgery or rehab as he looks to get back to his MVP best. Clowney, despite being on the tagging, if we don't trade him, as, and as an elite defender, and he's still got the potential as a pass rusher. He's now only one year younger than when Cleo Mack came out in the draft. Friend of the show, Whitney Merciless, um, is on a contract year, so certainly he's a point to prove and retain that double-digit sack form that, that saw him become a fan's favourite. The spine of the team, anchored by Zach Cunningham. He is the modern-day linebacker. He can stuff the run and play side-to-side -side against the tight ends and running backs and equally backed up by Dylan Cole, who's got a rare combination of football smart and speed. 
Despite having the second most passes defended um, in the last season, this unit gave up 28 touchdowns. Justin Reed is a budding star at free safety. Despite being a first-round talent, felt us in a third due to his brother's social outlook. And we've added also Deshaun Gibson at strong safety. Bradley Roby coming over with, with Lonnie Johnson picking the second round. Uh, we, we look to improve that unit. Special teams, Brad Seeley's turnaround a historical under-par unit with the best kicker in the league, oh. Kaimi Fairburn. <laughs> ten, ten wins due to strength of schedule I win this division <laughs> he's still going he's still going what a difference it makes when you get someone in that actually knows their own team he was on a roll I, was, I wasn't going to stop him I thought you were very impolite Absolutely that was not. that was three hours cut down to three minutes so. <laughs> <laughs> an entire game done in three minutes brilliant right um, we'll go straight on to Gordon uh, tell us your team and then your three minutes starts after that it's the Tennessee Titans and I could end this after one sentence, which is Andrew Luck just retired and the Houston Texans offensive line is one play away from getting Deshaun Watson killed. <laughs> I'll go on a little bit more than that. I think the Titans have some playmakers on defense. Jarrell Casey up front has 50 sacks and 339 total pressures over the past eight seasons. Seven plus sacks and three of the past four. They've added Cameron Wake on the edge. He's 37, but he's still one of the better pass rushers in the NFL, especially if they can limit his snaps and kind of keep him on a snap count out there. He's still capable of 10 plus sacks. He's still capable of 10 plus quarterback hits and he's still capable of forcing fumbles. The guy I really like opposite him, uh, Harold Landry, their second year player. He put up some really big numbers in college, slipped to the second round because of injury concerns, but he still averaged a sack, hit or hurry once every 10 or so pass rushing snaps last season, which is pretty much around the league average. Linebacker Rashan Evans flashed some really nice work as a rookie only missed four tackles all year. He's really good at taking on blocks. Rather than waiting for an offensive lineman to come towards him, he he attacks the offensive lineman and can break blocks that way. And then you go to the back end. Kevin Byard's an absolute ball hawk at safety. 12 interceptions over the past two seasons. Doesn't get the credit he deserves, but he's capable of closing and picking the ball off just as well as a guy like Errol Thomas as a guy like Eddie Jackson. The big concern, I think, there's cornerback. Uh, but the top-level talent is there. Malcolm Butler has 52 pass breakups and 11 interceptions over the past four seasons, but he's also given up 770, 770 yards in each of the past four seasons as well. Flipping to the offensive side, the offensive line is really good, uh, especially at tackle and especially once Taylor Lang comes back from his suspension. Right tackle Jack Conklin was really good as a rookie, then injuries have derailed his career, but seems to be healthy again and has some really, had some really nice work this preseason. At tight end, Delaney Walker is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Uh, he's racked up 800-plus yards in each of the past four seasons, with the exception of last year, which only lasted five receptions before he got hurt for the year. Uh, a fantastic tight end who can make people miss. I think Corey Davis at wide receiver, he hasn't quite lived up to his top five billing, but he still had just shy of 900 yards last year. Uh, he's a guy who I think could be in line for a bigger year, provided they get some better quarterback play, which brings up the big question of, does Marcus Mariota finish out the season? I think if you look at his numbers and compare them with how Ryan Tannehill has played this preseason, Tannehill's just shy of 70% completion rate. Uh, the past th uh, three seasons between, 
I think it was 2004 and 2017, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He's a guy who I think has a very good chance to replace him. And I'll say it again, Andrew Luck retired and the Houston Texans offensive line is one play away from killing Deshaun Watson. <laughs> bookend there, absolutely bookended. Right, brilliant. Okay, we're going to keep on with this uh, and it's on to me next. Uh, I'm pitching in with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the thing that we need to remember in this division is that there are two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. One of them is Jacoby Brissett. He didn't contribute. The other one is Nick Foles. Do you know that Nick Foles graduated in 2007 from Westlake High School, a two-year starter for the football team, Foles threw for 5,658 yards and 56 touchdowns, breaking most high school records previously held by... Drew Brees. So there you go. False has been better than Brees since the start. Passing attempts in his career, 1,581 of which he's completed 61.6 of them. That's 974. 68 touchdowns so far, over 11,000 yards and a passer rating through his career of 88.5. We've already touched on the fact that he's Super Bowl champion. He was Super Bowl MVP as well. He went to the Pro Bowl in 2013 where he was the offensive MVP there as well. He's just the MVP wherever he goes, let's be honest. NFL passer rating leader in 2013 13 he holds or he ties the record for most amount of touchdown passes in a game with seven he also ties with philip rivers for the most consecutive pass completions in a single game 25 25 consecutive pass completions that is not to be sniffed at nick Foles is a substantial uplift on blake Burrows. so that's that on to Leonard Fournette. He's improved his body frame, muscle mass, and his weight by, in his own words, removing negative people, and I started eating good. Well, who would have thunk it? But anyway, I'm sold. Those ankles have had time to heal, and if he can find his 2017 form of over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns on the ground and over 300 yards through the air for a touchdown, he can be a force again. He's behind the 21st rank O-line, but that was a banged-up line last year. If Andrew Norwell can get back to form, it will be a lot better than 21st. Add to that the number of patch Pass catchers in the team. Marquise Lee, DJ Shark, Dylan, uh, Keelan Colin, I can't speak, D.D. Westbrook. Chris Conley comes in from Kansas City too. Nick Foles has got plenty of options. Forget the Philly special. I eagerly anticipate his next defence-confusing display, which I'm already christening the Duval Decoy. Now, on to the D. PFF ranks Jacksonville as number 11th, but you've got Calais Campbell, who remains a monster. Yannick Ngokwe with his 29.5 career sacks to date. You've also got Josh Allen coming in, who rattled in 17 sacks in his final year at the Kentucky Wildcats. You've got fellow rookie Quincy Williams, brother of Quinnen, finest from the lesser-known Murray State Raiders, but Doug Marone has already said he might be the quickest player in the entire team. Once he's back from injury, he could be a threat. And let's not forget Miles Jack. Finally, as well, Jalen Ramsey. He's got his swagger back. He seems to have his head screwed on. There was a lot of stropping last year. I think all that comes to an end. The offense is going to be a threat. The defense is going to be a threat. The Jacksonville Jaguars, looking at the schedule, they're going 12-4. and four. I'm not going to say any more. That's really impressive, I must admit. I've, I've bought it. They're not the same team without Bortles. I think that's, that's got to be said. Yeah. Um, and I, I've used this joke already, but I'm going to use it again. I nearly bought a Blake Bortles jersey on holiday because they were selling them off, but I got intercepted on the way to the cash register. <laughs> it's, it's an old one, but it's a goodie. I think I think when Bortles was at his best, I remember seeing a quote that said, it looks like Bortles has thrown a box, because that's what it looked like when it was coming out of his arm. <laughs> right, finish us off, Paul, before we chat and actually discuss the details. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to draw the Indianapolis Colts. So <laughs> guess who reworked their script in the last couple of days? What could make you feel worse about having drafted Andrew Luck as your fantasy team quarterback? How about then taking Ruben Foster as your running back? 
I know that's happened to someone. Anyway, Andrew Luck, 86 games. He was 53 and 33, 676,000 plus passing yards, 171 touchdowns, 83 interceptions, five or six seasons, started at least 15 games. He missed all the 2017, eight playoff games, 16 comeback wins, 20 game winning drives, four and four in playoffs. He is hard to replace. However, they've got a Super Bowl winner to do so. Jacoby Prezet is a 5-12 record as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He was 4-11 in 2017 when Luck was out. He was sacked a league high 52 times, but don't think that's going to happen again. They've got one of the best defensive lines. Luck was sacked just 12 times last season. The Colts have gone from 12-1 to win the division to 30-1 to to take it. Get your money on them. They're golden. They're locked in to win this, and I'll tell you why. That offensive line, Quinton Nelson has been fantastic. Braden Smith at right tackle has been great. Both going into their second season will get better. When GB was last under centre, rookie Marlon Mack was supporting Frank Gore and struggled. Last season, Marlon Mack, 908 yards, averaged 4.7 per carry. They've got the talent in the team, including T.Y. Hilton as well. They've got cap space as well, should they want to try and get a second uh, quarterback in there. The only thing that concerned me, apart from Andrew Luck going out, was the draft selection when they seemed to go on funny names rather than player of quality. Rock Yassin... Ben Banogu and Paris with two R's Campbell all came in in the second round, but they could all actually make an impact. Even if Brissett is bad, the Colts isn't, they're not going to tank. They're not a 2-14 team. They're pretty strong. I think the minimum they would get was five wins, but I think you'll find that the defence is strong. The offence is also strong across the line. There's playmakers, backfield, on the boundary, and if Brissett actually clicks, he's going to go. Now, in 2018, the Colts went on a tear after a poor start. They might get a poor start again, but they will get themselves organised. They start at Dignity Health Sports Park, the worst-named stadium in the league, which is against the Los Angeles Chargers. They then go to Nissan Stadium to take on the Tennessee Titans, but they'll be back at Lucas Oil Stadium to take on the Falcons and the Raiders. They could be easily 2-2 two and two and then hopefully get things on an even keel. Brissett needs the reps. It'll be interesting to see how many reps he's actually been getting and what they actually expect from him. But this is a talented team who have lost their captain but Brissett Super Bowl winner will step in and do the job Brilliant you needed the least amount of time um, well, and to I've be got fair Brissette. most of it was yeah, I've got Brissett who needs anything else <laughs> Right gents so we've um, we've gone through the pitches what's actually going to happen in the AFC South and I'm going to look at you first Ewan you're biased but you probably know this division better than any of us so how do you see things actually playing out Well I, I, I tried to map out all the games the best I could. Um, and ultimately, I think it does boil. It's a quarterback-driven league, and if you've not got a guy under centre who can lead you to, you know, and Deshaun had five fourth-quarter winning drives last year. The only person who had more than that was Drew Brees with seven. So, like, ultimately, I think it comes down to the quarterback and what you've got. I think, obviously, I don't I don't think we could, we could probably do a whole podcast on luck retiring um, and probably come on to that in a bit and put them to one side. But if you look at the Titans, for example, I think they've got pretty much a full-out roster apart from that key position. They've got Mariota, who's never healthy, and they've got a, a bona fide wide receiver in Tannehill. So look, ultimately, ultimately, I think that 
that give, that gives the Texans the edge. I think with the Jacksonville Jaguars, I know they play in teal, but Nick Foles has only ever played well in green, and he's never done it anywhere else. So, <laughs> so, so I don't know if that's a close enough shade for him to turn it on. But ultimately, I mean, even in the, the year they won the Super Bowl, particularly the Atlanta Falcons game springs to mind, he wasn't that great in that game. And he had an absolutely stacked roster, one of the top two, if not the, the best roster in the league. So he was he was good in a good situation. Now, we played Jacksonville last year, and at one point they had absolutely chucked it mid-season because they've got so many big personalities. So if it doesn't go well early there, you can count them out. I think so. I Look, I, I, historically, we've always had the edge over the Jags and the Titans. Um, ironically, Jacoby Brissett is 3-0 and against the Texans, one for New England <laughs> after Deflategate. And also, uh, in, uh, I watched a terrible game, the, day, the game after Deshaun Torres' ACL in Seattle. We went to the, the game in, in uh, Houston and he was playing there and it was just the, the flattest, worst game ever, but he still beat us. And T.Y. Hilton still had a big game. So those two factors still remain for us. But um, it's going to be an interesting division. I've got the Houston Texans going 10-6. and six because we'll come on to the, um, this, the, the, the other division and they're both very closely intertwined. Uh, but I've got the Texans going uh, 10 and 6 and I've got all three teams cancelling each other out with their various parts, um, all, all going 7 and 9. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I disagree too much with that. I think Jacksonville, Tennessee and Indianapolis, I think probably all float somewhere around about eight wins, um, slightly under, slightly over. I think that the horrible thing for Chris Ballard as the GM in Indianapolis is they built a stacked roster. They've rebuilt the offensive line. The defense looks really good. And then now they've lost their starting quarterback who was potentially going to take them to a Super Bowl. I think the the worst thing for them with Brissett is that he's probably not the quarterback that takes them to a Super Bowl, but he almost definitely is the quarterback that keeps them picking around about 16th, 17th. So that's kind of the worst of both worlds there. Uh, I think Houston are the team who either go 10 and 6, 11 and 5 and win the division or someone on the offensive line messes up to Sean Watson gets hit and you know you potentially drop down to 6, 7 wins there. I think I'm not going to bet on an injury and I think when you look at their talent at wide receiver and Deshaun Watson, I'm going to go with the Texans to win that division as well. Now, I think, Paul, you said at the top of your pitch and you guys can keep me right that Ruben Foster was the running back in um, Texas has he not I'm gone sure out you he's done a lot of bad things Ruben Foster but running back's not one of them thinking <laughs> Lamar Miller oh sorry that's Lamar Miller <laughs> I was thinking yeah, sorry. Do you know what? What? if he's available and he's not suspended oh, sorry, you might play yeah, Ruben Lamar Foster it. I've, I've written the wrong name though which isn't unusual for me <laughs> which which actually Al Michael said that we'd sign Gia Jahi um, to replace Lamar Miller um Thankfully, that's not true to this point, so <laughs> keep away from the London references. Yeah, that, that, that's a fair, fair point. It, I'm just wondering if there's going to be a phone call from Ballard and it's going to go down to New Orleans way and they'll tap Teddy Bridgewater. Because I think the Colts are ready for a run. They knew they were ready for a run. And I think they're going to squander. If they don't trust Brissett, I, I, I agree with you, Gordon, I'm not convinced... He's a 13-3 and three quarterback, but he's not a 3-13 and 13 quarterback either with this team. I just wonder if they'll try and punt on a gamble. And you, you look around at every team's second quarterback, and Teddy Bridgewater is somebody who's capable, more than capable. They might decide to gamble. I think the Saints would let him go because the Saints have got Taysom Hill. Who's uh, been performing brilliantly in preseason. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to that when I, when yeah. I give you my full <laughs> unbiased uh, Saints evaluation. Um, so I think there there could be movement there. It's it's a question of do they trust? Because I think 
they timed everything correctly. They got luck back. They sorted out their lines. Okay, the receivers had a little bit no-name receiver stuff, but they were there. They were found. Um, I just think they're ready to go. And without... Unless Brissette comes out absolutely firing, um, that you might see a trade early doors. You think, on basis of the performance, that Terry Bridgewater's a uh, starting see, quarterback? I, I wouldn't worry about anything that anybody does in pre-season. No, I just I just uh, think back to when he was at Minnesota. I know he got the terrible injury, he, but he got the ter- it was a run-based I, offense. And he, I, I still think that he, well, he's he's to me he's better than Brissett, and I think he would bring them a better chance. It's all about gambling, isn't it? If, if you're going to at the moment, I don't think they're going to do it with Brissett as much as I, I tried to talk him up there. Um, the question is, would Bridgewater bring you a better chance? I think so. But you look around the league, who else is number two would come in and give you a better chance? I, the one I wonder about was actually Nick Mullins, whether he would start to draw attention. Because I thought Nick Mullins did a decent job at the Niners last year without being brilliant, but didn't look like a sucky number two. Now, if I'm San Francisco, I'm keeping on to him because you're worried about Jimmy's fitness. And, you know, obviously Jimmy started to perform a little bit better in his second preseason game, but there's still question marks there and you need to have that backup. But there, there isn't a lot of depth at number two around the league. Um and it is interesting, and, and it's the, for me, the most important thing in Indianapolis, whichever way you go, is that offensive line. Whether it be you go and get someone like Bridgewater who can run around behind that great line, utilise Marlon Mack and the, the players that they've got there, or whether you stick with Brissett, because actually when he had a really leaky offence, he still managed to grind out some wins. Maybe given the time and given the room, he can actually develop some relationships. He's got T.Y. Hilton, he's got Ebron, he's got Jack Doyle, he's got Paris Campbell, he's got Devin Funches, who's a big old wide receiver. Um, And I always thought Funches was all right under a Cam Newton throw, which went at about 300 miles an hour and about two foot over your head on average. So there's options there. Like you say, this this does feel like time for a run. I'm not sure whether or not it's an all or nothing point. Um, and that is the one thing that's still quite a young Indianapolis team. But i got to say, I, if they stick with Brissett, I don't think they're winning the division. I think their best is a wild card. For me, it's between... It is the Texans still in that prime position, even with the injury to Lamar Miller. Duke Johnson coming in now is a great piece of business. Do they go and get someone else? We'll see. I would be very surprised if they don't, especially behind that old line again. And that's the question mark. It's that offensive line. Did, I don't know if you saw the press conference where they had the three, sort of the, uh, uh, Chris Ballard, Frank Reich, and Jim Irsay. And they look, and that's that was their best public face they put on. And they were absolutely, to a man, floored by this. Chris Ballard, I thought, was going to shed a tear at one point. And, uh, like, and we were, we were uh, visited the stadium last year and, we, we saw Luck two years before that and you could tell he wasn't quite right. He was still an effective player and a good starting quarterback, but it wasn't there. He missed the whole 17th season. And to then, two weeks before the season, have no kind of fallback. Well, I mean, the reasonable fallback, but not to the same level that he could do. And, you know, Luck was just such a respectable pro, I thought. You know, and you felt for the guy and the fact he got booed off at the end was just disgraceful, I that, thought. That's that's yeah. a joke. That's an utter, utter yeah, joke. Now, the first two games are away from home. They should be having him at Lucas Oil Stadium week three to give him a standing yeah. ovation. I mean, that's it's just a joke. You cannot yeah. you cannot boo somebody from that perspective. That's the ultimate in selfishness. I think that, and it, well, it's a perfect time to bring up Luck because, you know, he's a massive loss to the league, first and foremost. A great player who had a great career. That offensive line did him damage. Yeah. And there's no two ways about that. Yeah. Um, you're right. The fact that he got booed off is 
appalling. Yeah, but I think what's by, worse by is the people who are people. still yes, yeah. uh, but it's the people who are still having to go. I I tried to think about this and I'm like, why are they booing? And the only thing I could think is that the 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 hype is there. You're going to the preseason games. You're getting excited about it. You think our quarterback's coming back, and while you're sitting in the ground, the news breaks that your star player's retiring two weeks before the start of the season. And what happens is your reaction is that of just, oh God, we're t- we we're not going to do anything this year. Nah. And immediately yeah. you get that horrible that. reaction. I, I um, thought what was worse was it Adam Schefter leaking it during the game while he's on the sideline. Now somebody in the Colts camp has given them that to leak while the game's going yeah. on. Yeah. So I think considerably they're probably more at fault than a natural fan reaction who's had six or seven Bud Lights, you know, by the end of the game. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I understand it's Schefter's job to do. Like it is literally his job, and if he doesn't report it, someone else is going to. The thing I found really funny was the following day he had a tweet which basically said, "Well, Andrew Luck's plan was, you know, this afternoon he was going to talk to his teammates yeah. and he was going to do this, but his timeline got moved up yeah. because you tweeted." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it's interesting. I don't think he had any choice but to break the story because somebody else would have done quite quickly. Um, how about would you like my other alternative theory? What might happen? Okay. The other place that the Colts may phone is New York and say, we'll take Eli, you go with Daniel, we'll take Eli for a year because he's done as far as you're concerned and you can just put in your you know, your top six draft pick and let him go with the season. Possibly, yeah. I think I think for me the biggest thing that I, I took out of it, just being watching, I mean, I've actually seen the Texans play this team three times in the row and we said ne- next year, I don't want to see them play them ever again. <laughs> I literally feel like I know them just as well as my own team. But um, but I think I, I, I read that, they, so between the 2012 and 2015, the three linemen that they drafted to protect Ruck before, before the seventh round was Hugh Thornton, Jack Muhort and Khaled Holmes. Now, and I think in exactly what you touched on earlier, Gordon, I think if any team around the league can take a lesson from this, particularly Houston Texans, if you have a franchise pass, you've got to do absolutely everything you yeah. can do from day one to protect them because players are getting faster, players are getting stronger, and you could see that actually a guy who dedicated his entire existence and was told from probably the age of six he was going to be an NFL quarterback has had to chuck it because he was negligently treated by his employer because they did not protect him and you know and if you look at back some of the highlights particularly that uh, Chiefs game where they came back from a huge deficit and he, he for him to finish his career now and he may come back but I, I can't see it to not win a Super Bowl is is a shame but I think as well the, the reaction of the fans I, I when I was there as well there is definitely a sense of entitlement in that city because they've been spoiled by going okay before before they were there but Johnny United then they had Peyton Manning then they made the decision to jump straight into luck. So, you know, they've had it good. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and to end it on that note was, was was not great. But I think the big thing that's going to take out of the, that, that's a really, really strong roster, as, as Gordon touched on. Both sides of the ball, uh, Ballard's done a great job on that. But the, the, what they had on, the, and this whole league is about momentum. And that, I can't think of a bigger momentum killer to kill a young team like that than it did right at the start of the season. So I think they'll start off poorly and potentially find their way as they go because it'll take a lot to rebound from that. Yeah. The, the other thing with the offensive line is as bad as it is the players they had and not drafting the right players, and I'm probably going to touch on this, and if I don't, it's probably a good time now. The, the Bruce Arians offense when he first came into the league yeah. involves quarterbacks dropping back deep, throwing the ball downfield in a league where now passes are getting out there in under two seconds, just over two seconds. That was an offense that was still about dropping back, waiting and throwing the ball downfield. You couple that with a bad offensive line and that's how people get hurt. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'm just going to add that I also disagreed with the booing, though I was putting myself in the shoes. I just because oh, I agree, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's horrible. And I think before we go on and make our predictions, because we do need to get onto the the NFC side of things, I think that the one thing that we need to say to Andrew Lark, he's not listening, I'm sure. Whitney, our friend Whitney, might pass this on, but it's just thank you for everything that he did. You know, he put him, he's put his neck on the line. He's been through so much. He's been through so many injuries, so many times he's come back and broken down. Um, there's no way he would have made this decision unless he had to. So, you know, it definitely is a loss to the league. And uh, I, as one of such a likeable guy came across so well, I'm gutted to see him go. Yeah, and to pay tribute to Andrew Luck, uh, we've decided to give away an Andrew Luck jersey at the NFL Scotland event in week one. So I, th- I think it's the least we could do. You've, Absolutely. You've got to think, though, he potentially will be the last college NFL-ready, pure pocket passer to come straight across because they don't build him like that anymore. Uh, He's probably been the only last automatic generational talent why they had to move on, and it's just a shame to see him go. No, absolutely. Right, okay, so prediction time. Um, You've already kind of given yours, Ewan, but just for the record, we'll start with you. Yeah, so I've got the Texans. um, I've I've sat there and mapped out every game on the flight back from a holiday there, so I've got the Texans going 10-6 and um, and all the other three teams because we're... Um, entangled in the NFC South, which is potentially, you know, one of the most high, three of the most high-powered offenses on their day. I think that's going to even it out. So I've got all three other teams going at seven and nine and not making the playoffs. Yeah, I think the Texans go eleven and five, provided they can keep Deshaun Watson healthy, and then I think everyone else is somewhere between six and eight wins. I think Tennessee will probably do a little bit better than both you guys think, but I do think Houston uh, will take it. I think, I mean, Indianapolis were primed. And unless they make a change, I don't think anything's going to happen there. So, yeah, I'm going with the Texans. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm kind of swinging the same way myself. I think a really big game in this one is the the Jags away to the Texans in week two. I think that's really big game. I think that the Colts and Titans will start slow. The Colts, because they need to get Jacoby Brissett. The Titans are going to uh, struggle without Luan in there. Uh, they, I feel like the Titans just figured out how to get Derek Henry to work, and now they're going to have problems doing that again. Um but I am coming down at the moment on the side of the Texans as well. So that's a clean sweep. That means they're not going to win the division. And, it, <laughs> and I think if they don't win it, I think the coach is gone this year as well because O'Brien's had it pretty good for a yeah. few years now and uh, it's time to deliver. I think. I, I think even if they win the division, if they go out at the first time asking in the playoffs, I think there's a chance he goes as well. Well, it, it was rumoured that he was told by the owner if you don't get to the FC Championship, you're in danger of going. So we'll wait and see. Indeed, indeed. Right. So on to, Paul, your side of things. And we started the last round with the homer in the AFC, so we might as well start with the homer in the NFC. Um, you, of course, have the your favourite team, the Atlanta Falcons. Um, your three minutes starts now. Thank you. I've looked at this objectively. 2017, there was a Minnesota miracle. In the 2018, we had the side judge steal. Uh, the season ended brutally both times, but the Saints had taken the NFC South title on both occasions. We'll do so again. Now, they were dominant last season. 13-3 record, 4-1 in the division going into the final week, which they rested players, dropped a game to the Panthers. If they needed it, they would have won it. If you're looking for three reasons why the Saints will win the NFC South, here they are. Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston. <laughs> If you look up their backups, Will Greer, Matt Schwab and Blaine Gabbert. So in a quarterback bass league, the exception of Ryan, the Saints' backups are better than the others. Teddy Bridgewater and the Mormon missile himself, Taysom Hill, who's having a good 
pre-season. Big teams need big players. The Saints, I think, have spent well a three-year deal with pass rusher Cameron Jordan. We'll keep him with the Saints till 2023. Important because they lost pass rusher Alex Okafor to Kansas City. Will Lutz, the kicker, is back. Craig Robertson, Chris Bando, Justin Hardy, Teddy Bridgewater, they're all there. They're under new deals. The Saints have been brilliant at managing the salary cap, not something they've been usually pretty good at. So a couple of new toys could be bought. Tight end's been an issue since Jimmy Graham left, so they've signed Jared Cook. Uh, Two-year deal, $15.5 He'll make an impact immediately. Joining Cook is running back Latavius Money, who's signed a four-year deal, nearly $14.4 million. He'll come in, stepping in for Mark Ingram, who's joined Baltimore, who's now second on the running back depth chart there behind Lamar Jackson. Uh, healthy lines... Well, offensive lineman Nick Easton, defensive lineman Malcolm Brown, Mary Edwards Jr. makes the seat stronger. We talked in the first segment about having good lines. The Saints have got good lines and they'll give protection uh, to Drew Brees. They did lose Max Unger, the centre, to retirement, but the strength of roster has allowed them to pick up Texas. A names Eric McCoy with their first pick, which came in the second round. Uh, if the Saints have a slight weakness, it'll be at corner and safety. Uh, they've had so many safeties in trying to figure out what they're going to do, but they're a talented roster and they're actually, if you believe what's coming out in New Orleans, having trouble getting down to that 53-man roster. They reckon they'll be shedding players that'll be picked up elsewhere and go on to other teams' rosters. They've got to start quickly though. Houston Texans week one on Monday Night Football. They've back in prime time on week four with the Dallas Cowboys, both of them in the Dome. What a couple of trips to start away from home. The LA Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. That's difficult going out to the West Coast. The Saints, and I'm biased, I know that, have seemed to have had a really tough schedule the last few years, but uh, they've come back to winning it. Strong start isn't essential, I think, as long as they're, they're level and keep things going. Uh, five of the last eight games are all NFC South games, and they all just go down in the column of very, very winnable indeed. Drew Brees, 520 career touchdowns. He'll go past Peyton Manning this year. That's for sure. And that's why the Saints will win the division. Oh, second to spare. Oh, in fact, that just went off. I thought I'd stopped that. Solid pitch. Well done. It was decent. It was easy, though, wasn't it? Well, <laughs> you, you try and do the Colts, mate. After. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point. Okay, right. On to me next. And I have the Carolina Panthers. And once again, I'm starting with a quarterback. The 2010 Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Cameron Newton. That's a premium name if ever there was one. 2018, you know, the, the Panthers weren't that great. He was injured. He's still got 3,395 yards, 24 touchdowns, a rating of 94.2. He rushed for 488 yards for four touchdowns in just 14 games. Go back to 2015. He was the MVP of the, the, the NFL. 3,837 yards, 35 touchdowns, and a QB rating of 99.4, 636 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns. Most importantly, though, this year, he's fit. He's back after his surgery. He's going to come gunning. Look at all of his records. Most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in NFL history. Most games in NFL with a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown. First player in NFL and most games with at least 250 yards, 100 rushing yards, one passing touchdown, and one rushing touchdown, all in a single game. Only player in NFL history with at least 30 passing touchdowns and 10 rushing touchdowns in the same season. First starting quarterback to win the NFC South in consecutive seasons. Take that, Drew Brees. First quarterback in NFL history to earn a comeback victory when trailing in overtime. Don't even confess to the fact that I had to check this one with you, Gordon. I didn't believe it at first. Uh, most combined yards in a player's first five season, over 21,000. Boom, 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 boom. It just keeps going on and on. Then you look at the weapons. Christian McCaffrey, sophomore slump, he turned it into a year two triumph. Over a thousand yards for seven touchdowns. 
on the ground, receiving 867 for six touchdowns. That's more yards on the ground and in the air than the great Alvin Kamara. Did you know that Christian McCaffrey plays the piano? So he's not just a key player on the field. Boom, boom. Set record for the most catches made by a running back in a single season in 2018 with 106 versus Matt Forty's 102. Did you know that Christian McCaffrey was addicted to the mobile game Pokemon Go? So got to catch them all is clearly something he lives by 24-7. Then we move on to the defense. Luke Keighley, 24 in the top NFL 100. Fourth highest running back. Only Khalil Mack, Von Miller and Bobby Wagner were ahead. And he's got pieces around him. Dontari Paul, Bruce Irvin, he's a pretty good Super Bowl winner. Gerald McCoy comes across. This is a strong unit. Fine, the secondary needs to step up. But Dante Jackson is a good old LSU boy. He needs to continue his end of season form into year two. And most importantly, they've got something that no other team in this division's got. A Scotsman. Graham Gano, 63-yard game-winning field goal last year. A franchise record, tied the longest outside of Matt Prater's asterisk-ridden kick at mile high. Kicks don't count at mile high, they're in space. Graham Gano holds a franchise record also at the Washington Redskins with a 59-yarder in 2011. And I highlighted that Cam was the first QB to lead a team from behind to win in overtime. Well, Graham gets the credit because it was his two field goals, a 42 and a 52 that did it. The Cats, they're not just going to dream, they're going to get the cream. Love it. Follow that. <laughs> I'm just making sure I'm recording. Uh, That's probably the best pitch I think I've done. <laughs> I got a Pokemon joke in there. You did, which, which was amazing. Um, I don't want to burst your bubble, but Graham Gano could miss the start of the season, you know. Yes, that's... Small, or is, is that just small, 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 small detail? I don't, I don't want to also burst the bubble, but Cam Newton's already dealing with a foot injury as well. <laughs> the boot's off, he'll be fine. It's fine, he's fit enough. Yeah, the, the boot will be on the other foot soon enough, though. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, probably. Right, Gordon, on to yourself. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense is going to be one of the most entertaining offenses in the NFL in 2019. Bruce Arians, who I touched on earlier there, loves a quarterback who's going to drop back, nice deep drop back, throwing the ball downfield. When you look at some of the stuff we do at PFF, Winston's consistently one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of percentage of his passes that get a positive grade. The downside is he's also one of the worst when it comes to a negative, negatively graded pass. But the, the interesting thing there is if he gets a little bit of luck, those negatively graded passes don't get picked off. All of a sudden, he can put up a similar season to Matt Ryan putting up in 2016, where he threw for 5,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. So the combination of Arians and Winston and a little bit of luck all of a sudden could turn him into an MVP stat-wise caliber quarterback. And then you look at the rest of the offense, one of the best one-two combos of wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, Mike Evans, I think everyone sleeps on. He's in that group of wide receivers below Julio Jones, Odell and Hopkins. So he's not quite that elite level, but he's just right there below. Had over 1,500 yards last year, eight touchdowns, 17.7 yards per catch, which is huge for a top wide receiver. Chris Godwin, the number two, made some fantastic plays last year. Had just shy of 900 yards himself, 17 touchdowns, again, 14.3 yards per catch. Those numbers aren't likely to go down with the style of offense that Arians likes to play. They're going to push the ball downfield. And then you look at what they have inside. They've got arguably the best tight end room in the entire NFL. O.J. Howard has been on the field in preseason for 98% of the snaps as Winston has. So that's probably going to be something that we're going to see carry into the regular season. He's averaged 16.6 yards per catch in each of the first two seasons in the NFL. 16.6 yards per catch for a tight end. He has 11 touchdowns over the first over his first two years. He's a physical freak who's too fast for linebackers. He's too strong for defensive backs. 
Then you look at a guy like Cameron Bray, who had six touchdowns in each of the past two years, and their third tight end, Tanner Hudson, leads the NFL in receiving so far this preseason. You flip to the defensive side of the ball, that's where they have some problems, but I love the addition of Ndamukong Su. Uh, he's replacing Gerald McCoy, both very good, but Su is a little bit more dominant as an interior disruptor. Love the addition of Devin White, absolute star at LSU, made some plays across the middle of the field that very few linebackers can make. The number of linebackers in the NFL who can cover a wide receiver and a crosser uh, is, you know, you're talking maybe on one hand. He's one of those guys who can do that. And then I think when you look at their edge defenders, the guys who I think could really surprise a little bit this year, Carl Nassib, really good at Penn State, uh, flashed a little bit at Cleveland but was inconsistent. He's looked good this preseason. And Shaq Barrett, another guy they added, really underrated edge guy who got injured right before he was due to get paid, consistently gets quite a bit of pressure without being as dominant as Von Miller and Khalil Mack. That's why I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a chance to surprise people. Super. Right, let's clean it all up. Let's finish the NFC off. Ewan, it's over to you. The Atlanta Falcons obviously coming off a disappointing 9-7 and season. Obviously a hugely talented roster, but absolutely pillaged by injuries last year, which continued their Super Bowl 51 hangover. Despite these injuries, this saw Dan Quinn's now taking over as the defensive play caller and sacking uh, Steve Sarkeesian, who'd been there for two years and wasn't able to live up to the Kyle Shanahan zone run and play action scheme that saw them reach the Super Bowl. That was the same scheme and run that saw Matt Ryan win the MVP, and now this team looks healthy and set for a deep playoff run. Dirk Cotter returns to the role that he had as prior to being the Tampa head coach, and I'll bring a familiarity in terms of the scheme fit and as well as in terms of the uh, the, the know-how to, to get the best out of the quarterback that's known as Matty Ice. The, 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 the primary aim for the, this offense this, this season will be to add balance. They were third in the passing game at 27th in the run. The return of the for, former Florida State, Devonta Freeman, uh, backed up by Ito Smith, is going to provide a one-two punch in the run game. This, te- this season's team will be defined by quick scoreability and they'll be able to hang with the best in the NFC when it comes to shootouts. They're hev- heavily talented on paper. Um, Julio Jones led the league in receiving yards last year. Sanu is a wide receiver too, p- posted 800 yards and Calvin Ridley in the slot with some great running uh, route ability, put up 10 touchdowns as a rookie. The biggest Achilles heel of this team last year was, without doubt, the, the offensive line. They, they spent two first-round picks on that, bringing in Chris Lindstrom from Boston College, who'll slot into right guard from day one, and competing for the right tackle will be Caleb McGarry out of Washington, the 31st overall. Uh, and that, that'll add to a strong first-round pedigree of former Aggie Jake, Jake Matthews at left tackle, and sometimes the much underrated Alex Smith anchoring in the line at centre. The biggest change for this team is defence this year and the health and the return of some of their key parts, which were missing all of last year. Vic Beasley not quite led, led, came up to his profile in the draft, but led the league in 2016 in sacks and looks to form a, a, a pass rush tandem with Tack McKinley, who is believed to be still carrying about his picture of his grandmother that he took from his UCLA dorm room to draft night. Dion Jones, given his new contract, led the team in tackles with 138 in 2017, missed all of last year, as did... 2017 Pro Bowler Keanu Neal comes back from an AC, ACL injury and will be paired up with last year's surprise in DeMonte KZ when they moved him to safety. Jade, Grady Jarrett has extend, been extended by the team for a 68 million deal. The former Clemson standout is a game record in the pocket. 
and he'll look to combine with Dedrin Sanat and former chief Alan Bailey to, to shoot up that middle that finished 24th against the run last year. Trufant and Allen will provide some veteran presence in, in the backfield, but to, to avoid giving up the 4,000 yards that they did last year, expect a big breakout year from Isaiah Oliver of Colorado. who was the 58th pick in the 2018 draft. And this team will win the division. Again, there's some solid pitches to be made for all of these. Um, Can I give you the betting odds yeah, for go the for division? It. The Saints are three to one, the Bucks are thirteen to two, the Panthers are eighteen to one, and the Falcons are twenty-eight to three. <laughs> Cheap Saints joke. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even trigger it at first. I should have known that was coming. Oh, I might censor that out. Um, yeah, do you know what? I think this division is going to be closer than the AFC this year because of some of the questions around the Titans and now the Colts and what have you. I think this division, though on paper it feels like it's the Saints to lose, I think when it comes to shootouts, as Ewan was talking about there, this every team is capable of scoring an absolute raft of points against each other. Um, and I think there'll be some really entertaining head-to-heads in this one. I actually think the Panthers-Bucks uh, at the Spurs Stadium is one of the most exciting games that's coming over to, to London this year. I think from an offensive point of view, you've got two teams with talent on both sides. Um, you've got one great quarterback that's coming back from an injury, one quarterback that's not quite lived up to the greatness, and there's a few question marks there. But, yeah, I think it's a fascinating division. I really do. I think Euron Gordon actually both summed it up pretty well when he talked about the offensive attributes of both teams. You know, I mean, Atlanta stacked at receiver. You know, and there's some great receivers too and tight ends in Tampa. So I think there's great things, but I think both it's the defence that's the problem. I think the Saints are similar. I think they're very, very solid attacking, obviously, right across the board. I think their D-line is great. Safety is okay, but the corners at the moment have caused palpitations um, during the the pre-season. And it, it is only pre-season, but what you're looking for is not only are you looking for who are going to be your corners, Who's going to step in if they get hurt? And they will get hurt. Uh, I mean, apparently, if I was to fly to New Orleans, I'd get shot. It's it's really that bad at the moment. They are very, very worried. That's the one weak point that they've got. I mean, I think it is the Saints to lose. I think they're the most talented on the board. Um, given what's happened the last two years, if they, if, they, if they flagged a little bit, you know, you could understand it. But it's, it's a demanding coach. It's a demanding fan base, the city is expecting the Saints to win. Uh, I, I must admit, I am concerned about the start. I mean, the Texans, you could argue cases for all four teams that they face in those first four games for the Saints to actually lose and go in four. The Texans, you know, it only takes a great night by Deshaun Watson. You know, uh, they, they could struggle. They've got to go to the Rams, the Seahawks, who perhaps won't be what they are. And Dallas, of course, Dallas beat um, the Saints last year. Uh, on a Thursday night game, and they've got talent as well. I'm slightly nervous about the start, but I think they'll dominate in their own division, and I think that's what will see the Saints through. I think the the really interesting question with the Saints is if you see any drop-off from Drew Brees. I think I've given up trying to predict when Tom Brady and Drew Brees are going to stop playing at the level they are, but at some point it's going to happen. It, yeah. Like it just science defies that at some point they're not going to be able to play as well as they are. So if that happens, the Saints are in big trouble. But as long as that doesn't happen, I think it's the the favourites have to be them in Atlanta because they're both going to be the best offensive powerhouses. Um, and yeah, as long as Breeze can stay healthy, I think they've got a really good chance. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Brady and Breeze, 
who would have had Brady and Breeze outlasting Andrew Luck in this league? I think that says a lot for who, two Who would have had RG3 outlasting well, Andrew Luck? <laughs> yeah, you talked about the strength of lines and, and negligence perhaps in Indianapolis, but also shows what great athletes they are. But you you need that little bit of luck to avoid that severe injury. Um and, and I think that's the case. I mean, Matt Ryan is the one that worries me in, in the South because he is a clearly talented player. They just have struggled so much to get over the Super Bowl defeat. Now, bear in mind, the Saints have been, you know, the, the one in Minnesota hurt. Mm. Um, but you could argue it was a dumb play and a great play at the same time. The one that the Rams got away with, and I'm not he- hecking on the Rams, that should have been called the Saints win the game. You know, that, that hurts more, I think, than the Minnesota one. Does the one throw last year not give you that, if you're looking for a silver lining, in Minnesota, your heads are down and you've got to lift your heads because it's on you. But against the Rams, it's not on you. You did what you needed to do pretty much. And there's a chip on the shoulder that sometimes can be used to galvanise at those moments where you've got something to prove. Um, I wonder whether you might just use that to rocket you right through the season. You could, but I think... uh, uh, Gordon's right when you've got a quarterback who at some point is going to tip over. You know, Breeze should have been in the Super Bowl. And if you are going to tip over, there's definitely a concern um, that something's not going to go for you. So if Drew Breeze does drop off this year, that could be enough to make the difference. I still think they win the division, but the Super Bowl would be harder to come by. Does the Rams one hurt more because if they run the ball three times, they take a lot more time off the clock. I think they only had one time out at that time. Yeah, I still think... I mean, there's I mean it was a, that, a non-call, that's for sure. Yeah, that's not the, the, the non-call did it. I mean, if that is called, then the Saints win the game. I don't think... Yeah. I think if you look at it, it was 99, 97% certain that the Saints yeah. would, would win the game. I, I, I have no problem with the Rams. It was a missed call. I was delighted Sean Payton, I thought, handled it beautifully. Uh, you know, that sort of controlled rage. He could have gone... If he'd gone off on one completely, you would have understood it. Um so I don't know. I, th- I think you can take motivation out of these things to a certain degree. But my, my worry is that, you know, at some point Drew Brees is going to drop off. I think so. I mean, but looking at last year, he was 74.4% accuracy. And the previous year he was 72. Yeah, so I, mean, I think, it's, you know, it just seems to be going. But you, you touched on the line and they've probably got a top three line that just keep them, keep them upright. And they, they, they took only 20 sacks last year, which... Yeah. Is, is a big difference, particularly at 40 years of age. It'll be interesting. I think the, the, the big step up they'll be looking for is Davenport that they traded up for at UTEP because he's not performed four and a half sacks last season. It's not necessarily the return you're looking for for somebody when you give up capital to go up. See, it's interesting because there's a great debate in New Orleans about Davenport because he's a decent... I mean, he's a raw talent. He's got potential, but everybody expects more quickly from him because they gave up, you know, yeah. essentially two number ones. That's not his fault. He's okay. still got to take time to develop like every other rookie in the league. and But I think the fans in particular are expecting big things immediately. And they, they all said he was raw. It's the kind of thing that if, he, if he'd been picked to play on a lesser team, that would cost somebody their job to go for, you know, if to me, and if it'd been me, if you're going to go with two number one picks, it has got to be an absolute surefire slot in from day one. You're playing all 16 games. I don't think, and, and when you're, Super Bowl ready, I don't think you can afford to put two number ones on one guy. I think the question as well is Sheldon Rankin's going to be fit because he's an absolute so. game record. I hope so. Yeah, I mean he's huge for that team. Yeah. How significant is Jared Cook coming in and finally maybe having a tight end threat? 
that you've not had for a few years. Yeah, I mean, it's never been the same since Jimmy Graham left, and you could argue Jimmy Graham's not been the same since he left yeah. New Orleans. I mean, Benjamin Watson, who retired and is now going to the Patriots, who wouldn't give him the chance? Um, yeah, I think he makes all the difference in the world because it's a position that they really struggled at. They gave several players looks there last year. Uh, but you're bringing in somebody who knows the position and he'll be thrilled. If you get the chance to, to play with Drew Brees, he'll be absolutely thrilled. So I think he'll make a big difference. Right, okay. Time to wrap things up then in the NFC South. And you and you're the guest, so you get to go first. That's just the way it works. Prediction from you. So I had the Saints twelve and four, the Falcons ten and six, the Panthers nine and seven, just with the questions around Newton and his health. Um, and just considering how boring North's Turner offence is. Um, and I think the Tampa Bay, because they've drafted more kickers than they have defensive ends in the last few years, 5-11. and 11. <laughs> It's a very, a very fair uh, criticism of Tampa Bay. If you're going to draft a kicker in the second round, you deserve to be ridiculed for probably about 10 years. Um, I, I, think, I think Atlanta are going to win the division. Um, I think New Orleans on paper are the second best team Uh I think Carolina are going to disappoint a little bit this year. I think there's problems with Cam Newton's health. The fact that it's come up again this year, uh, even at the start of the year, is a small thing, is a concern again. I, I think Tampa Bay can really surprise some people. If you look at what Bruce Arians did when he got to Arizona, reinvigorated Carson Palmer, uh, he has the type of potential with his offense to make Jameis Winston look like a completely different quarterback to what he's looked so far in his career. And... I think the I think they're going to finish third in the division, and I think at least two teams from this division make the playoffs. And I think Tampa Bay are going to be that borderline team who a little bit of luck either way can push them to a nine and seven, ten and six record, and they can sneak in. The problem I've got with Tampa Bay is: do they want Jameis Winston to perform? Because if he performs even half decent, and you get seven and nine or an eight and eight out of it, you're going to have to pay him next year. You can't then dump him for somebody else because you're not going to be drafting high enough to get one of the good ones coming out so you've got to stick with them I think it's boomer bust uh, you know if they were to go 12 and 4 they'd love it but secretly if they were to go 3 and 13 and move on from Winston I don't think they'd be overly unhappy either yeah I think they've, they've got a good defense I think just in terms of the, some of the picks that like Vernon Hargreaves and Noah Spence, they've just not panned out. So I just think they look thin, you know. And like Alex Kappa was a great player that, you know, the potential upside from Humboldt State. They got, you know, lucky with Ali Marpet, but I think there's just too many ifs on that roster to think they can be, you know, any more than third at best. I, I would give Bruce Arians three seasons. That, if, if I was in Tampa Bay, I would say, you've got three seasons. Don't worry about year one. We want to see some progress. Year two, but year three is year one. Because, you know, the Saints are stacked for another year or two. Atlanta are pretty decent. I. I'm not a big Panthers fan uh, from the way they're built. I'm slightly biased, I accept that. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I'd be, so that might take the pressure off proceedings. But I think the worst thing for Tampa Bay would be to actually have Winston doing okay, but not doing great. I think that if they were going to go down that route, they probably should have tried to ship him off this offseason or just declined the fifth year option instead of having him around for that final year. Because it's just, it doesn't seem like it's in Bruce Arians' nature to, you know, have a so-so season and go 6-10. and 10. I think he's going to, you know, they're going to throw the ball as much as possible and they're going to try and upset some teams. Um, and, you know, he's going to try and win as many games as possible. So, yeah, I, I think it potentially could hurt them long term 
but I think they're going to have quite a bit of success on offense this year. An option for them is just give them the tag. He has a good year, franchise tag. I mean, you can do that two years in a row. Yeah, that's fair. It doesn't always work out, but um, it's, it's an option for them to, to kind of have a bit of security. Right, Paul, for the benefit of the tape, incriminate yourself. Oh, the New Orleans Saints, yeah. no, no <laughs> doubt about it. So I'm, I, I think Gordon uninvited himself from future events by his Falcons pick. I could see the look of just displeasure. I'm, I'm trying to think what I did to say about his team. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do think if there's a team that's going to challenge the Saints in this division, it's the Falcons. And to your point, there's a lot of pieces fit that weren't last year. I mean, that first game against the Eagles, even on the opening night, was ridiculous last year. It's just players going down left, right and centre. Um, my my favourite story about the Falcons is, and this is apparently true, that the Saints fans buy playoff tickets should Atlanta get into the playoffs at home so they can go along and boo the Falcons <laughs> and support whoever they're playing. I think that just takes it to a brilliant level of pettiness where not only are you prepared to sit and shout at the telly, but you're prepared to put your money where your mouth is. Travel to Atlanta, buy a ticket, go in there and actually boo <laughs> your divisional rival. That's class. Talking about coaches that are on the hot seat, I think if the Atlanta don't win that division, I think after you, you saw him sack all his assistants, which is a big move to clear the chairs off the deck then um, if they don't if they don't win a division or at least get to the playoffs and win a couple of games I think Dan Quinn's probably gone as well because a fresh start's probably needed yeah no absolutely so it, it, it's boomer bust for them I think if there's a team can do it it's them I think that yeah I think Bruce Arians will level out the Bucks a bit I think that they'll be slightly better and hopefully things will just settle it still felt a bit volatile last year and for me the, the Panthers are still do you know if you stop Christian McCaffrey you can stop the Panthers because I don't think Cam's got enough about him even mentally after the injury, to be running around like he once did. DJ Moore and Kurt Samuel are decent options. Greg Olsen's ageing, quite often injured. Um, the offensive line there's not as... It's all right, but it's not as good as it was. Um, so I think there's a lot of question marks. Do you know what? See if all the things clicked for the Panthers? They could be brilliant. And actually, they could absolutely pitch a run on that. Um, but yeah, it's between the two, and I'm, I'm coming down on the side of the Saints at the moment. So. You saw him on... Uh, all or nothing walking about, you know, Paul's favourite character in All or Nothing, but you, you saw him walking around with, you know, the ice pack on the shoulder and we've just seen a quarterback retire from effectively not being able to overcome a shoulder injury. So I think potentially he takes a lot of hits and he, he, he welcomes contact uh, when he takes the ball on uh, out the line of scrimmage. So it'd be interesting to want to watch that. I don't think they've wasted a draft pick on Will Greer for nothing. I, I, I think they, they, they realise that they've got a problem. And he, he's their insurance because if they, you are going to write off the season if he goes down after three or four games, you know, he might get 10, 12 games to see if he's your answer. Yeah, the system that they played at West Virginia is relatively similar. And I think they think perhaps better than when Taylor Heineke came in and quite couldn't quite operate the offense at a level to keep them in games. Potentially, Will Greer does, and he's, you know, albeit a rookie. He, he's been bad in preseason, though, Greer. He has he's been, been uh, to be fair. Yes. And I, I loved him in college. He graded really well for us. Didn't like him at Florida. When he went to West Virginia, I thought he did a really good job, really good pushing the ball downfield. I just wonder if they already have some regret because he's been so bad in preseason. Yeah, it's never good. Right, well, that concludes everything for the South. So last week you heard us catch up with Ethan Webb off the Clyde Valley Blackhawks as a player who's been invited, one of the 80, to get into the new NFL Academy that's opening in London next week. Well, we're delighted to confirm that there's a second Scotsman being selected and we caught up with East Cobride's Jonathan Letham to find out about his story and how he secured his place. 
So delighted to be joined now by another Scotsman who brilliantly has secured himself a place at the NFL Academy, joined on the line by Jonathan Letham. Hello, Jonathan. Uh, hi. Thanks to have you on. And first of all, congratulations on getting that place. Thanks. Uh, it's good. It's been good. Thanks. No, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about the journey. You know, how did it all start and what did you have to do to get this place? Well, there was talks about me heading over to high school this year in America, but then we saw something pop up on, I can't remember what news site, but it was one of the news sites about an academy starting here. Uh, and we decided, why not go down and give it an attempt? So looked into it a bit, signed up, went through all that stress and just got the email through about the first trial a few weeks later. And what was that first trial? What was involved in that? Uh, the first trial was just the uh, basic combine stuff, uh, so 40-yard dash, uh, broad jump, vertical, and shuttles. It, it was pretty basic. It was more so, it seemed to be more teaching the guys what the second trial would be like. Right, okay. And what position do you play then? Uh, I play defensive line for East Kilbride Pirates. Ah, brilliant. And uh, so was the standard pretty high at that first trial or did you find it was a real mixed bag of talent the first trial was definitely a lot more a lot very mixed because not everyone played before not everyone was up to standard with others a few people were you could tell were insane athletes and others were down for seemed to be there for the experience a bit more yeah absolutely and then obviously you made it through that first trial so what came next next well next was a lot more official so it was in the the Spurs Stadium, the new one, it was incredible. Everything was set up properly. It was a lot more professional. It gave the kind of air of this is something that is going to take us to the next level. And what was involved in the actual trial then? The trial itself was um, effectively the same as the first one, but there was a lot more of a competitive vibe to it. Everyone was pushing each other a lot more. There was a lot more communication was another thing that I quite liked because everyone who got through the first trial was there and you could tell everyone was a serious athlete. And did you get to meet any of the players that were there from the NFL? Uh, well, Effie Obada was with my group for pretty much the whole trial. So he was kind of coaching us through like our stances for the 40-yard dash. and He was basically just hyping everyone up, getting everyone ready to perform to their maximum potential. And how valuable was it having someone like him there to give you that, to give you that encouragement? I mean, his story is probably one of the best for people here in the UK to look up to. But what was it like actually having someone who's gone and played over there giving you that advice? I'd, honestly, it was more just the, it gave you that mindset that the, as people have went through it and they're here for us, it was more like it gave us kind of a connection to what our eventual goal is. And what do you what, what do you hope to gain from this then? What's your ultimate goal? Well, the ultimate goal is to head over to college and hopefully try to make it to the NFL. That's the goal for all of us, as far as I can tell. Have they given you much of an indication as to what your week is going to look like every week when you're down there? Um, they had They had rough timetables for schooling and they kind of intersected training into that. At the moment, it from what I can tell, it's more dependent on coursework you're taking, but mostly it looks like you'll be training football four days a week and in the weights room every other day, including some of the training days. And I assume this is going to be the first time that you've left home then as well. Is how you Are you looking forward to that? Are you nervous about that? Um, it's, it's not really something that I've thought about. I'll, I'll definitely feel it when I get down there, I can tell, but it's not something I've put much thought into. 
it's more i'm just focused now before you go down you've got quite a big game coming up this weekend as well uh yeah the british final brit bowl against the london blitz absolutely brilliant and uh, obviously the pirates having to travel quite a long way for this one as well oh yeah the see it works out quite well for me because the next day after the final i'll be in school down there but the, the traveling will definitely have an effect on us but uh with the squad we've got this year, I reckon we can pull it out of the bag. What a perfect way to finish the season and go <laughs> on to your new opportunity. If you can go and bag a win down there against London in their own territory. Um, how much are the boys of the team looking forward to that experience? See, we're a, a team mostly made out of rookies this year. So well, the things we've done so far are amazing, but especially see our senior players moving up, our oldest guys, the, the feeling they're ecstatic. A chance at another final, another win before they leave it's all the thought about all season yeah absolutely well listen we wish you all the very best for that one um is there a particular player from the nfl of all these ambassadors that have been lined up is there someone in particular that you're looking forward to meeting and hopefully getting to work with that's that's a it's kind of thing they're all they've all made a name for themselves i'm i'm more focused about people making it there it's not players in particular it's more meeting people that have achieved what my dream is to achieve i wouldn't say there's anyone in particular just meeting everyone who's made it to that high level yeah is is good for me it's it's impactful well listen jonathan we wish you all the very best and hopefully we'll hear from you again soon get a wee update about how things have been going with you yeah definitely (laughs) that'd be brilliant well listen we wish you and the pirates all the very best this weekend hope this academy kicks off brilliantly for you next week as well and all the very best good luck to you yep thanks so brilliant guys to hear from jonathan there we wish them all the very best in their final against the london blitz this weekend and then he does the final on the sunday monday starts at the new nfl academy the future's bright i wish him well only if he arrives at camp in a hot air balloon because that's that's the way you do it nowadays so there you go that's his challenge but it's really good to see a couple of scottish guys there now obviously this is a new academy gordon we don't know yet exactly how well this is going to pan out for these guys but they're at least on the radar they're at least getting this opportunity and that's great and it's certainly cheaper than having to send your kid over to america to high school or anything like that yeah i think what the biggest thing with the academy that i'm most intrigued to see how it works out is we've seen a good few guys go over to the NFL, guys who are good athletes, guys who've played rugby, they have that natural raw talent. But when you are 24, 25 or a little bit older and you all of a sudden go into the NFL where everyone has known systems and known terminology for years and you're so far behind the eight ball on that, that's where so many players have just run into a brick wall and just struggled. I think the idea that the academy is going to be able to teach players a lot more of the technical side of football as well as training them at that elite level gives them a far better chance to go to college in America or get a spot on an NFL roster and start to build from there. We'll be doing our very best to keep up to date with Jonathan and Ethan to find out how they've been getting on. It really is fascinating to see how they do. Um, And, you know, let's now move on to the news and talk about the the success that Jamie Gillen's having as well continues to play really well, making tackles now and everything, which is exactly what we wanted to see. That was the first thing we tweeted out uh, in the morning when we saw Jamie had punted the ball, got up the field, and up to the 30-yard line, I think it was, and made the tackle himself. Brilliant. I think it's really interesting because if he doesn't stick with the Browns, he must be attracting attention from someone. Someone is going to say he is worth sticking either on a 
a practice or or actually just bringing him in because he can do so much. You might actually start to look at him as a special teams player as well, potentially as in defensive special teams. And this is something that more and more teams are looking at. I mean, the Saints have got Taysom Hill. We've mentioned him. He can do so much. They're starting to look at players who can do just that little bit extra and he could be talking himself into a, a contract somewhere. It's a bit like the guy who, <clears throat> I think it was the Ravens traded to Minnesota, who could potentially um, do both, um, your place kicking and, and punting. So yeah, I mean, like you've only got 53 roster spots. I know the CBA's got a couple of years to go, but it's not enough. You know, that's quite obvious every season. So anywhere you can save a roster spot like that, it's yeah. going to be so valuable. I, I don't think... So I originally thought what we would see happen in Cleveland is... The, the sneaky little injured reserve transaction that happens to so many talented players that a team can't quite fit in the roster. I think how good he's been in preseason, I think last I looked he was our 17th highest graded punter, which might not seem like a like a great deal, but you know that's still one of the best 20 punters in the NFL. And there's no way that other teams aren't taking notice of that. I think any chance the Browns had to sneak him onto the practice squad is gone. If there is a chance for them to get him an injured reserve for a season, then that might be a way. But I think the discussion that they need to be having in Cleveland, or they'll at least have had on a small level, is is the difference between him and Britton Colquitt so much that the saving, I think you'd save $2.5 million by cutting Britton Colquitt. Uh, and that all of a sudden allows you, you know, that money to spend elsewhere. And so far, he's not been that far off him as a player. Yeah, absolutely. And if I'm over there in Cleveland and I see him going down holding his toe, I know something is afoot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. The puns have been terrible tonight. <laughs> we, we just need the season to start. Yeah, we, need to it, we need the season to go. I hope he doesn't go on IR before you arrive. In no, I know. I've, do you know what? I've been looking at it all the time, making sure that there's nothing going on there. I saw Brown's cut Jay, and I was like, oh, no, it's Jalen Strong. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, there's no way he's getting cut. Um, so, yeah, no, it's great to see, um, you know, obviously a Scotsman over there. The NFL UK had a really good art, uh, interview with him as well. So, brilliant to see him getting the attention, brilliant to see him getting the plaudits. Uh, and, you know, from the commentary, you know, they're loving the hair, they're loving the tackle. He's making a name, and that's half the battle. If people are talking about you, then you're uh, in their mind. And if you're in their mind, then you've got more than half a chance. Any other news items then, Paul, before we wrap things up for this episode? I've been watching Hard Knocks. Is anybody else disappointed by Hard Knocks? I just don't think it's got the same buzz as it's had in the last few seasons. I can't remember the name of the guy that they had this week going out in the, the boat in the Bay of San Francisco with his dad. But what was that about? The wind in his hair? The, yeah, it was the Canadian from yeah. Rice University, tight end, who's probably maybe second or third on their depth chart. I, I, I've sort of noticed as time goes on, I think because the competitive advantage are so thin in the league that they are absolutely petrified. The thing is, edited ten in its life to not even like the slightest bit of terminology leak onto film because it just seems to be, and I was watching QB1 as well on Netflix about, you know, these aspiring high school quarterbacks committed to, to, uh, to colleges and it just seems to be a bland series of people having kind of very undetailed pep talks <laughs> continuously yeah. because there seems to be no content. I think when you, th you remember the, the the chap from the Dolphins that got traded and, you know, and it was dramatic or, you know, when I remember when the Texans were on it and Ryan Mallett, you know, had a bit of an affliction at the time, shall we say, and didn't turn up for training. So, you know, I think there's, there's been better and I, I think teams are just so scared now that anything gets out, they just avoid all kind of decent content. I think the other frustrating thing is the fact that 
the Antonio Brown story really should have been absolute TV gold, but they've kind of made a point to almost not cover it to the to the level that it really should have been. I mean, it's one of the wildest stories we've seen. A guy threatening to retire because he's not allowed to wear the helmet he wants. Although it might turn out that he's been playing this perfectly the whole time because he now seemingly has offers from people who are yeah. going to make him a custom <laughs> helmet. This whole time, it's either... On Antonio Brown, I think it's either the extreme left that he is very crazy or the extreme right that actually he's played this whole thing from getting out of Pittsburgh to getting himself a new helmet just by making himself seem like he is willing to ruin everything just to mess people up so i would have liked to seen a lot more of that because it's such a funny story yeah no for me as well, i said this even from the first one i just it feels more contrived it feels a little bit more forced situational things put in play that just feel a little bit like oh wouldn't this be fun uh because it d- felt a bit more natural before i did like the comedian coming in to yeah. take the mickey out of gruden i thought that was brilliant i thought it was well handled and i thought gruden took it really well as well and i just thought there was just nice humor in that i just like to see more things that that might reveal a little bit about how they relax players or the tension and if you're with me guys knock on wood i think gruden's been good actually i mean yes. apart from that knock on wood thing but i think just these sort of interactions he's quite a sort of well-polished kind of quite a good sort of father figure the players despite being out of the league for so long but he was in broadcast and he's not lost his touch i think and that was interesting to see uh, but I mean, whether he, I know the comedian did that thing, I'm just going to shout for no reason. Is he actually getting frustrated that they're not? But Antonio Brown's just a complete sh- sideshow to that team, you know, despite his ability. You know, he's not there. You know, just like, you know, Odell Beckham was at the Monaco Grand Prix on the first week of installs. You know, these guys, <laughs> yeah. if they're not there to help your team, you only get so many reps now in that, you know, in this in this agreement with the with the players union that there, there's, there's you know, there's such limited time to get things right for a 16-game brutal schedule. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more nuts and bolts and if that means going to some of the coaching and finding out you know is it the linebackers coach that looks like a bit of a mad guy you know like yeah. i'd like to see stories like that come out if they're going to be blander with the players i'd like to see something that i don't see it's been interesting but it's not you know if i miss the next episode i wouldn't be worried a couple of years ago i would never have missed an episode it's just on that kind of cusp at the moment for me right just before we go because this has been a bumper edition this one um but we shout out to Keith Black, who highlighted to us uh, the Wraith Rovers' second goal uh, over their 3-0 win over Montrose, scored by Jamie Gullen, who is known as the Hammer. I don't know if that's related or not, but it is a coincidence. That, that is a bit of a coincidence. So you've got Gullen and Gullen the Hammers. So it just, <laughs> just depends which part of Scotland you come from. <laughs> what, um, what did you think of the XFL's big unveil? Indeed, I, do you know what? That completely passed me by with all the Andrew Luck stuff. And incidentally, I wasn't surprised to see people right away go, rumour, 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 is Andrew Luck away to the XFL? Daddy's called and off he goes. Um, I liked some of the names and the logos and I thought some of them were an utter disappointment. Um, I think we talked about this. You put out your power rankings pretty early, Gordon. Do you still stand by stand, that initial? Stand entirely by that. Uh, I think everyone's hating on the Vipers logo, but... It's a V for Vipers. It looks like a snake bite. It really does the job. The, the rest of them are all, I mean, in fairness, this one probably is as well. But it is like the creative teams from Madden that you used to do. Yeah, yeah. I, my, I, I sort of, you know, you see it all written down and it sounds a bit contrived, some of the sort of commentary. But the, the one that I, I thought, I thought the exception of the Houston one, which is just basically a modern update of the Oilers, I thought that was quite good. But the... The, the, the sort of commentary around sort of trying to define the team in a couple of sentences with a hype video, the one from 
the the Seattle Dragons was your fantasy in cleats, sorry, your darkest fantasy in cleats, which I'm cringing saying that out loud. So well, I can I, tell you my darkest fantasy in cleats is not Seattle Dragons. <laughs> I think I was going to say, I think we could put that down with the Scottish Hammer as potential different adult entertainment yeah. industry. <laughs> I think we've got to remember that this comes from the guy who had WWE and WWF in there. You look back at some of the things they did in the early 2000s, there were some very questionable promos they did. And I think some of the unveilings for this were very similar that... You know, was trying to push a different envelope for some people. Yeah, I, you know, I agree with you on the Vipers one as well. I think the Vipers one's totally undervalued. I think it looks really good. It's really clean. It's got like almost the fangs with the yellow. Um, it almost looks a little bit like a, a bottom half of a snake eye as well. I think yep. it's actually really good. Um, the one that disappointed me the most was the LA Wildcats because I get no <laughs> correlation between what that is and a cat. I've, I've looked at it sideways, upside down. I've but inverted it. That, that's the standard it. LA logo is you know the every LA sports team through it I mean even the the Chargers updated logo that they then decided to scrap because everyone panned it was just that but done in bolts yeah <laughs> um but I agree with you I think that the roughnecks is really good because it does tie into that whole Houston Oilers thing and when there's been a bit of chat between the, the Texans and the titans about using the old throwback logos this is a great way to sneak in there and get all the merch on the back of that i'm not not sure about the name um roughnecks but i know that the dallas desperados or whatever they've called them that is an exact copy of the logo of the old arena team that used to play in dallas so the imagination i think was for whatever agency they paid to, to a nice a, a, probably a decent sized contract to design potentially was misguided but i mean it, look it's it's a sport that we're all sitting talking about over four thousand miles away with more games it's a good thing absolutely uh, and i'm just going to touch on lastly uh, seattle i actually was half because i get a, a bit of stick for being down on seattle being a niner i thought you know i'm going to take seattle team and then they brought out this hideous green and red dragon thing that yeah just rubbish it looks like yeah it's like a i don't even know what it's like it's, it's terrible. a male color blindness nightmare absolutely i I can't see it for a star it just screws with my eyes it's just gonna it's see if the kits are green and red that no i'm just got another reason to dislike yeah but I, I i take issue with the houston roughnecks because it reminded me of the houston oilers which when I went onto YouTube to look up the Astrodome to see what's happening with it now, which is quite interesting. It's now a protected stadium. They've taken the towers away. But I then got into a YouTube wormhole about abandoned stadiums and things like that. Um, it took hours of my life away from me that I'll never get back. <laughs> but actually, I quite enjoyed it because I'm quite sad when it comes to these things. Right, last thing then before we go, and just we announced this on Twitter, but we will be launching our Pick'em competition for 2019 this week. We're delighted to confirm as well that it's sponsored by the great people at McBookie. They've helped us put up a top prize this year with a signed NFL jersey. The player and team will be confirmed very shortly. A £100 free bet, um, an exclusive NFL Scotland hoodie. There's a new design this year. And a King or Queen of Scotland trophy. All of that will go to the person who is best at picking in the 2019 season. All the details of, of how you can join up uh, and how you can take part will be coming very soon. Last year, we did it on the NFL.com website, but it appears they don't seem to be launching their pick on this year, so we're going with a different website. Details of that to come. Indeed. Safe travels to you. You're off to Cleveland. Yes, thank you. I think Straight from a, here to pack my bags. It'll be a great trip. Really enjoy it. I can't believe I wasn't invited. But you go and have a good time. <laughs> and you go with your pals in the Cleveland locker room. You, you have a good time. And uh, come back safe. Look forward to speaking to you all about it.
Yep, and that concludes everything then for episode 63. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and again, we'd love to hear your feedback, good and bad. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter, at ScotlandNFL, and on Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash ScotlandNFL. To you and Gordon for joining us. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to all of you who've been listening, sharing, chatting about the podcast. The numbers continue to grow. Keep Please keep sharing the podcast with all your NFL friends. You still have time to grab your tickets for our live event on week one at the Golf Tavern in Edinburgh, which also, by the way, is the home for watching NFL here in the capital city. For those of you coming along, the doors will open just before four o'clock. We've got guests, prizes, free food, and hours and hours of NFL action. Make sure you check out our social media for all the latest information. The Saints are 0-2 when I've watched at the Golf Tavern, that's all I'm saying. Remember to check out Twitter again this Sunday as we have our final giveaway ahead of the new season. We'll be back next week to kick it all off with our week one preview show, including our first selections for the 29 Pick Sikkim section. I've got a crown to keep, games to win, but until then, bye for now. 